We're going to start this series on the sacraments, and I just want to kind of give you a backstory. We're not going to we're not going to go too deep today. Uh, we're going to hit some just some, some of the top level stuff about uh, communion specifically. But I want to kind of give you a little bit of backstory. My backstory is this: as most of you know, I'm, I'm been in church all my life. That was that was what my family did. We just went to church. I didn't know I've have not always served Jesus, but I was at least at his house every Sunday, or I got a whooping. And so uh, didn't have a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of chances to miss. But communion was something that we did, and water baptism is something that we did. Uh, matter of fact, communion was the first Sunday of every month at the end of the service. And I mentioned to you last Sunday, I got in trouble one Sunday because I was, you know, me and my cousin were cutting up during communion and stuff. Never forgot that lesson, um, you know, ever. And, uh, but it was just nothing, it, just, it was just something that we did in church. First Sunday of every month, I knew the church was going to last a little bit longer because we had to do communion before we left. And so there's little tiny cups and, and, and little pieces of bread or cracker. Most of the time, the little church that we went to was very poor, so we couldn't afford to buy um, like the styrofoam wafers that are in these things um, or the unleavened stuff. So we just used saltine crackers and they would split them up and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, but it, just, it was just something that we did the first Sunday of every month. And then water baptism was something that you did when you got to a certain age and, and you're trying to follow Jesus and, and you better be baptized in water. And so you got baptized in water when you were like 12. And so we did that. And it was just not, it wasn't anything that, it didn't have a hook in it for me. It was just something we did. I grew up around it. I was familiar with it and, and just kind of took it for granted. And so... About, I don't know, 12 or 14 years ago, uh, I was, I've been asked for about a year if I would attend this thing called an Emmaus Walk. A lot of people were asking me if I would go to it, and no, not, I'm not the kind of guy that's going to go to something that I don't necessarily know anybody at. I don't do well in that environment, and I'm, I'm a kind of a hermit. But this was a thing, have you ever done, how many of you are familiar with Emmaus Walks? Okay, good, a lot of you, good. Um, so I went. And I go, and there's like 60 guys there. I don't know a soul at this thing, which is, makes it even more uncomfortable and for me. And so, uh, but they wouldn't let me find a hole. I couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't disappear. And so I had to go through this thing. And one night, one night while we were there, we did, we did communion. It was about the Lord's table, and we did communion. And something happened that night in communion that it just exploded in my spirit. The Lord's table just exploded in my spirit. And ever since that time, it has, it has meant so much to me, to a point where we do it uh, as a family. We do it every time my family's together at Christmas or Thanksgiving. We do communion together. We do all these things because communion is not just something that we do the first Sunday of every month or now the first every Sunday that we come together. And we've been, I've been asked a number of times about, hey, are you afra- aren't you afraid that doing communion every Sunday is going to make it kind of old hat or commonplace? And, and there's a danger in that, yes. But I'll tell you, hopefully by the time we finish this series, that danger will, will have gone away in your life because there's something very special in the sacraments. It's something very special in the sacraments. Water baptism came alive for me in 2000, uh, well, a number of years ago, actually the first time that we went to Israel. And, uh, and, and, and I got baptized when I was 12 years old. I got baptized in my baseball uniform, a Little League baseball uniform. Because that's what you did. I mean, you come straight from baseball practice on Wednesday, and then you went straight to church, and we did water baptisms that night. And so I was in my baseball uniform and got baptized after the baseball game. 
And that was just something you did. But, but when, I, when I went to Israel the first time, I'm over there, and something happened in my spirit, and, and I hadn't planned on doing it. I just literally at the last moment I said, would you baptize me? I asked Dr. Rutland if he would baptize me, and I got in the Jordan River, and he did. And it, and it, it was something that meant something to me. It's something that, once again, it just quickened in my spirit. And so all these years have passed, and I've been thinking about this for the last, I don't know, number of months here at GenU, and I wanted to do this series, but before we did this series, I wanted to institute communion as something that we did in every service. We read, the, we read through the psalm, we pray through the psalms every Sunday. That's a part of what we do as a body. We've been saying the Lord's Prayer for six or seven years to close out all of our services. And now we're layering in the communion piece of it. And you will see going forward from this series, you will see water baptism be more of a regular thing that we do here. Because it's not just a ritual. And hopefully over the next number of weeks that we'll kind of unpack this and, and it will be something that you will gravitate toward instead of sitting back going, yeah, I don't know about that. So what is a sacrament? Sacrament is typically not something that is used very widely in Protestant circles. It's not, that's not a word that we use. Um, it's a Christian rite, such as baptism or the Eucharist, that is believed to have been ordained by Christ and that is held to be a means of divine grace or to be a sign or symbol of spiritual reality. In Roman Catholicism, they have seven. Those of you that, that grew up uh, in Roman Catholicism, um, you remember them, baptism, confirmation, Eucharist, reconciliation, repentance, anointing of the sick, matrimony, and holy orders. Um, that's the, that's the Roman Catholic side. On the, on the Protestant side, we typically have two that we recognize, and we don't normally call them sacraments. I don't really know the reason why we don't call them sacraments. Probably because sometime in the dim distant past, Protestants didn't want to identify with Catholics, and so they changed the name. I don't know if that's true or not. Please don't burn me at the stake for that, for that statement. But we call them ordinances. Most Protestant churches call them ordinances. There's water baptism, there's communion. And in some circles, Pentecostal circles and some evangelical circles, they layer in uh, the, uh, the foot washing thing. Now, it's interesting. Foot washing is an interesting thing. Uh, Jesus did wash the feet of the disciples the night that he was betrayed. Uh, and foot washing was a commonplace culturally in ancient times because you were barefoot or in sandals everywhere you went and the roads weren't paved. And so you went to somebody's house and you would wash your feet before you went in because they didn't want you tracking dirt and mud and everything in the house. Jesus washed, it that, washed their feet that night as a sign to them as to how they are to live their life. Not necessarily washing someone's feet, but recognizing that humility, I came to serve, not be served. That was, that's, that's the lesson with that. I, I don't, I've, I've done a couple of foot washings before. They've been very memorable uh, and I, but the, the, the difficulty you have with foot washing is that sometimes people do foot washing for the sake of foot washing and they go, look how humble we are. We're going to wash somebody's feet. Well, if you're going, look how humble we are. We're going to wash somebody's feet. You got a problem with pride. And so I don't necessarily pull it into, if you want to pull it into that, Hey, have at it. It's not a salvation issue. And I guarantee you, you'll get to heaven. If you wash your feet, or if you don't wash your feet, as long as you love Jesus. Okay. Everybody good so far? All right. The kicker for most Protestants is this. Why do we have, a, why are we doing a ritual? It's a ritual. 
We do the Lord, set of the Lord, there's a ritual to it. There's, this, there's the ritual to communion. There's the ritual to water baptism. There's the ritual to the, the reading of the Bible. There's a ritual to uh, dedication. There's a ritual. And we don't want, especially Pentecostal, we don't want anything ritualistic in our life. And the problem with that is when we make statements like that, we just, we really show our ignorance. We show our ignorance. If you're, if you're sitting here today, going, I don't want anything ritualistic in my life, then let me ask you a question. Do you brush your teeth in the morning? <laughs> do you do it at the same time most every morning? Do you brush it the same way or do you choose it? Do you switch it up? Like I'm going to brush the back today before I brush the front. See, a ritual is, very, a very, a ritual is something that's very easy to establish, and that is uh, it's a form for a ceremony or it's an act or series of acts regularly repeated in a set or precise manner. Do you typically get up and eat breakfast every day? Yes. That's a ritual. Anything that you do in a set pattern on a regular basis becomes a ritual. So let's, let's take the ritual argument, good or bad, and let's just put a pin in it and stick it over here somewhere, okay? Because it's really not an argument that we can bring into this discussion. Because we all live by ritual. Whether you're a tongue-talking Pentecostal or you are a non-tongue-talking uh, uh, evangelical or whether you were raised Episcopal or, or, or Baptist or Methodist or Church of Christ or whatever, it doesn't matter. It's all, we all have rituals in our life. So we can't say, well, I don't want any rituals in my life because we all have them. And yes, I get it that people are uneasy with ritual, but the truth of the matter is, uh, it, it, there's something that is deeply moving in something that we practice on a regular basis. I, I try to be ritualistic about my Bible reading. I want to I read the Bible every day if I possibly can. And, and I have a time every day that I typically do that. And I've noticed that if I don't do it at that time every day, that many times I, it'll, I'll, it'll, it'll get dropped. Because I've, you know, this stuff creeps in. So if I don't get up first thing, usually before I ever get out of bed, I pull, open, open up my Bible app and I'm doing my Bible reading. The, I use the verse. And then I start reading through the chronological Bible, which is what we're doing this year. That's a ritual that I perform on a regular basis. There's something deeply moving about this. And in this series that, that I'm going to be doing over the next probably four or six weeks, I don't really know for sure, we're going to deal with three of the sacraments. Uh, we're going to deal with... Uh, water baptism, we're going to deal with Holy Communion, and we're going to deal with divine healing or uh, the anointing of the sick, however you want to you look at that. Depending on your tradition of each of these things, you'll have different bends. You'll have different bends. For example, water baptism. Uh, depending on what your religious tradition is, uh, you're going to view it a certain way or you're going to receive it or be a part of it and experience it in a certain way. For example, let's ask the question, when do we baptize? Well, we baptize, do we baptize at birth? Do we baptize at confirmation? Or do we baptize as a profession of our faith after we've come to faith in Jesus Christ? When do we do that? All of these questions are valid questions that need to be answered. Uh, how do we baptize? Do we immerse or do we sprinkle? If we immerse, do we immerse one time backward or three times face forward? You know, I look, and I'm not trying to be funny, but I'm just saying those are questions that, that entire denominations have been built around this stuff. 
How, I mean, the, the, the methodology is very important. How, how do you do Do you immerse? Okay, if you don't immerse, then, then do you sprinkle? And if you sprinkle, when do you sprinkle? What do you do if you, got some, if you believe in immersion and you've got somebody that can't be immersed? But yet they want to be baptized in water. Years ago, Kim and I took a group from the church to Hawaii, suffering for Jesus in revival over in Hawaii. Uh, and... and uh, we did night services for four or five nights, and, and then at the end of that, we had a big, uh, we, we called it a water baptism. It was actually a luau with baptism is what it was. And so, but we had, we just, we had a 40 or 50 people that come to faith that week, and, and we get there that night, and we're out in the Pacific Ocean, and we're baptizing people, and we're doing all this, and I get it, we're about done, and I'm walking back up to shore, and these people come down, and they're pushing this guy in a wheelchair, and then they pick him up and they carry him down to the water's edge. And they come to him and say, he wants to be baptized, Pastor. Here's the problem. He is a quadriplegic. And, uh, or maybe he's para. I can't remember what he was. Anyway, he paralyzed from the neck down, whatever that is, okay? He said, I cannot be immersed. My, my immune system, I can't do that. And what can we do? Well, here I am, a ordained assembly of God, Pastor. We dunk them. We dunk them. And I'm figuring out, what are we going to do? So I look, and I go up, there's the luau table. And so I go up there, and there's this big bamboo bowl of something. And I just turn it upside down on the table. And I go down to the Pacific Ocean, I pick up a, bucket, a, a bowl of water, and the, the guys, they lean this gentleman back, and I just pour it all over his head in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, is he, any, is he any less baptized than those that got dunked in the Pacific Ocean? No, he's not. But all of these things, people get hung up on these types of things when it comes to the sacraments or the ordinances of the church. What formula do you use? Is it a Trinitarian formula or is it a Unitarian formula? You know, do we, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, or is it in Jesus' name only? Uh, you know, all of these things. And once again, entire denominations have been established on these positions, and then we move into communion. Holy communion. Depending on your tradition, it is viewed and received differently. For example, if in, in, in Roman Catholicism, it is transubstantiation, where you know, there's a miracle that is performed in the Mass, whereby the bread becomes the literal body of Jesus, and the cup becomes the literal blood. There's something transformational that takes place in that. That the cup and the, the, the bread and the wine actually become the literal body and blood of Jesus. That, and then you have consubstantiation, which is more of a Lutheran bend, and, and the body of Christ is present with the bread, and the blood of Christ is present with the cup. And then you have Calvin's position, which simply is that the bread is an emblem or the cup is an emblem. The bread represents this, the body of Jesus, the cup represents the blood of Jesus. And then there's yet a fourth one that is Zwingli's position, and he says that, oh, it's just a memorial supper. That's all it is. It's just, it's just a memorial supper. All of these things are connected to understanding the sacraments and unpacking them. We've titled the series Mystery, Exploring the Sacraments. What is the mystery? And once again, you know, we, sometimes in church we get a little bit hesitant about using the term mysterious or mystical or mystery. Um, it sounds a little weird, but here's the thing. In most English translations of the Bible, sacrament is not even used. 
The word sacrament is not in use because sacrament comes from the Latin, Latin word sacramentum, not sacramento. Sacramentum, which was, and interesting enough, it was the word for the soldier's oath of allegiance. Those of you that are in the military, remember you swore, you know, that's sacramentum. That's what that is. If you look at Eastern Orthodoxy, they bring in the mystery idea associated with all the sacraments. And so we've called this mystery, exploring the sacraments. And we're going to look at the mystery and the oath aspects of Holy Communion and water baptism. And then we're going to bring in divine healing toward the end of the series. So today I just want to kind of give you a, a quick introduction to why we take communion. Whether you call it communion, whether you call it the Eucharist, whether the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table, let's look at the New Testament backdrop. If you're following along in New Version, Luke 22, verse 14, Tommy quotes this a lot when, we're, when he's leading us in uh, communion on Sunday morning. So does Luke did a few weeks ago, um, as well as 1 Corinthians that we're going to look at. Here's Jesus in Luke 22. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, this is right before uh, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas betrays Jesus, and he's arrested and goes to trial and ultimately crucifixion and resurrection. This is the backdrop. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, he gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Next Sunday, we're going to dive into the Passover because communion is, is the third cup of the Passover, and we're going to pull out all the symbolism and all the pieces of that cup, because the third cup comes after dinner. What well, it says, after supper, he took the cup. It's the third cup of the Passover, and we're going to look at that next week. But today, look at 1 Corinthians 11 with me, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So now Jesus has instituted it. Paul is coming along and saying, this is, this, is, this is the deal behind it. And this is why we do this. This is Jesus talking. And so in this passage of 1 Corinthians, there are basically three reasons that we take communion. Three reasons. Here it is. The first one is this. To commemorate. Jesus said what? Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Um, now, I've had people ask me, we had somebody say it in the morning in prayer. We, we take communion and prayer with all the leaders, all the workers on Sunday mornings in the team room in this building, and they do the same thing over in the other buildings. A few weeks ago, we started doing communion in there because a lot of our workers are not in here when we do communion, and so they miss out. So we started doing communion together, and the question came up this morning, well, can I take communion now and then take it again in church? Yeah. Yeah. Someone, someone used my phraseology with water baptism, and we all dunk you till it sticks. 
you know, and they said, well, we'll just take it till it sticks, okay? But the deal is, as often as you do this, is what the scripture says. So there's no once, twice, 52 times, there's no deal with that, no parameters on that. But we commemorate, the bread and the cup remind us of the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross. We partake of communion to remember what Jesus did on our behalf. I wonder how many times we literally think about what the magnitude of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Do you understand that up until the time that Jesus came, went to the cross and died, that animals had to die for the sins of the people of Israel? And all the animal could do was cover the sins for a certain amount of time. You've got to keep doing it. You've got to keep sacrificing. You've got to keep killing the animals. You've got to keep killing the lamb, the doves, all those kinds. You keep sacrificing. Every year you've got to do this. You get out of line, you've got to go sacrifice. All those things, all the time. But it, one thing that, it, that the sacrifices of an, the blood of animals never did, it never washed away our sin. It just covered it up for another year or another season. Jesus comes on the scene. He becomes the perfect sacrificial lamb. He dies once for all of our sin. Listen to me this morning, guys. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of your past, the sins of your present, and the sins of your future. He died once. It's taken care of. We don't have to go back and sacrifice over and over and over and over again. When we walk under grace, we walk under the blood of Jesus Christ, our sins are clean. They're never remembered against us again by God. They're never brought up again. And we commemorate that when we sit at the Lord's table. We remember what Jesus did on our behalf. I mean, can you think about coming to church? You got to go out and catch an animal. You got to bring it in. I'm sinful. Here, pastor, kill this. No, Jesus did it once for all sin. All sin. So we commemorate. Second thing we do is we anticipate. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, notice what he said. You proclaim the Lord's death. Jesus died. But then he said the last two words, three words are even more important than that. And that is until he comes. Yes, we commemorate the fact that Jesus died for us. But we also anticipate a time when he's coming back for us. We proclaim the Lord's death. His death is what gets us in. Do you understand that without coming, the coming of Jesus on the cross, that those of us that are non-Jewish people don't get in? Gentiles don't get in unless Jesus comes and dies. But because he comes and dies, we get in. So we commemorate that, but then we look to what he did. We recognize his death got us in the door. It adopted us into the vine. We're now a part of the kingdom of God. We're a part of God's children. And now we're anticipating what? The return of Jesus. So we commemorate that. We anticipate that. We observe the Lord's Supper in anticipation of the return of Christ. And then the third reason that we do this is to participate. Commemorate, anticipate, participate. It's more than a time of passive and individual reflection. To observe the Lord's table is to participate in a congregational act by which we corporately affirm our faith. 
We corporately celebrate the completed work of Jesus Christ. We corporately focus on our unity as the body of Christ, and we visibly proclaim to the world that Jesus is the only way that you're going to get to God. It's the only way of salvation. That's the whole deal of participating. One of these Sundays, we're going to delve into the whole concept of unity in the communion. Because so many of us grew up in a tradition that somehow, I don't know that it, if it was ever said, well, yes, I know it was said. I remember hearing it. Before you took communion, you held the cup and you held the, the bread and the pastor would stand up or whoever was leading would go, okay, now, to ensure that you do not partake unworthily, you've got to make sure that there's no sin in your life. Because if you eat, if you eat unworthily and you drink unworthily and you've got sin in your life, notice what happened at Corinth. Some died. And some were sick. And they would say things like, you don't want to die. You don't want to get sick. So if you've got sin in your life, don't partake. <laughs> the problem with that is, it's wrong. The third cup of the Passover is the cup of redemption. Communion is the third cup. What do we need more than we need anything else in this world? We need redemption. You got sin in your life in this building? Most of us do. He's not talking about that. You go into 1 Corinthians 11 and you see Paul unpacking a whole issue of disunity and division in the church. The way we take, partake unworthily is that we have relationships that we haven't dealt with, that we have unforgiveness in our heart, we haven't worked toward restoration and reconciliation. That's the whole point. When you drink unworthily is when you've got a relationship that you know, you know that there needs to be some restoration. You know that there's got to be reconciliation and you do everything that you can. But if you refuse that, and if you go, I'm, I'm never going to forgive that person. then there's a problem. To participate in the, at the Lord's table means that we celebrate and we corporately affirm our faith. We celebrate the completed work of Christ and we focus on our unity in the body. And we visibly proclaim to the world that Jesus is the only way of salvation. So why do we observe the Lord's Supper? We commemorate a past event we anticipate a future event, and we participate in the celebration of life between the two. That's why we take communion. Amen? Let's stand. It's time to come to the Lord's table this morning. Phil, I hadn't had time. I, I didn't know anything about that unworthy stuff. And I got a relationship that where I'm, I'm bitter and I'm angry and I'm ha I have hatred in my heart. I have unforgiveness in my heart for somebody. The beginning of that begins with repentance. That's where it starts. But this morning, I want you just to bow your heads, close your eyes all over the room. Just meditate for just a moment on what Jesus did for you.
that your sin, all of them, are nailed to the cross. You and I bear them no more because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now let's just think for just a moment and anticipate the return of Jesus. When we're no longer in this earth, but we've been, we're now with him in heaven because he's come back and he's returned to us. And we've joined all of our loved ones that have gone before us and now we're in heaven. Let's anticipate that this morning. Let's think about that this morning. That the return of Jesus Christ brings us all into his presence eternally. Now it's time to participate. Corporately, right now, we we affirm our faith in Jesus. Corporately, we, we celebrate the completed work of Jesus. That we can't work and earn it, but Jesus did it. He completed it. He said it is finished. And as we follow him, the completed work of Jesus Christ takes over our life. And we stand unified around the cause of Christ. It doesn't mean that we believe 100% in everything that everybody else does. It just simply means that we stand unified at the cross. That the one thing that's a non-negotiable above everything else is the deity of Jesus Christ. And he is the salvation of mankind. And we stand unified in that this morning. And we publicly declare that the only way to salvation is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus took the bread, he broke it, he blessed it, and gave it to his disciples and said, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Bless this bread. Dear God, bless this wafer. As we commemorate As we anticipate and as we participate this morning, we give you thanks for your broken body. Shall we eat together? After supper, he took the cup. He said to them, this is the new covenant in my blood. Drink all of it. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus to die in our place. We thank you that the blood of Jesus Christ does not cover our sins but that it washes them away and that we are clean before you by the blood of Jesus. And we declare that this morning in Jesus' name. Shall we drink together? You're a gracious God. Jesus, you're a loving and gracious Savior. As we take time this morning to commemorate what you did for us, we do it with a grateful heart. As we anticipate your return, we look to the future knowing that someday you're going to come back and you're going to bring us to yourself and to all of our loved ones. And we're going to be reunited with those that have gone on before us. 
But in the meantime, we have to live between past and future. And so we participate corporately in this. We participate corporately by affirming our faith. We celebrate your completed work on the cross. We focus on our unity in you, Jesus. And then we will proclaim that Jesus is the only way of salvation. We all said amen this morning. Amen. Let's say the Lord's Prayer together, and then Tommy's going to come and close us out. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Be ready. We got four or five more weeks of this, guys. We got a lot of we got a lot of ground to cover, but there's some real depth, and there is some mysterious pieces to this that we're going to uncover together. Amen. God bless you. Amen.